honesty hour, I did not know what I was doing in regards to launching this podcast. And I wouldn't have been able to do it without Anchor. Anchor makes starting a podcast super, super easy and allows you to not only use their platform to distribute the podcast, but you can even go on your phone or computer and record and edit the podcast right on their platform. Best of all, it's totally, totally free. So if you're interested in starting a podcast, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. You know, I had all these seemingly detrimental qualities, right? Mm -hmm. I had the long hair, commonly mistaken for a girl. I was overweight, you know, picked on for that. Um, I was cross-eyed, so I had the glasses and I looked nerdy. And then my last name is Gross, so people already say, ew, and disgusting before they even know who I am. Um, but I, I chose to embrace those qualities and I actually use them to my advantage. Hello and welcome to the Strange on Purpose podcast. This week we had the pleasure of having Jordan Gross on the show. TEDx speaker, author, three-time entrepreneur, and more. This dude is just a beast. It was awesome talking to him and talking about Cloud9 moments and really just other people's cloud nine moments what makes a cloud nine moment have you had one what does it mean to have one all of these things that we went over and it was just a really great conversation we asked each other a lot of questions had definitely a really involved conversation that i know all of you guys would like and again if you like what you hear please don't forget to leave us a review on itunes that would mean the world but without further ado here is the episode all right so uh to to address your your first question um so hi everyone I'm Jordan Gross. I am a uh, 24-year-old corporate refugee. Right now, I am working on this this big project called Cloud9 Living and and how to live a Cloud9 life, which in my interpretation is living according to my intuition, my heart, um, what I want to do rather than what society expects me to do or what the people around me have told me to do, right? I, I take advice with with tremendous respect, but I always, you know, based off of my own self-awareness, evaluation of myself, I always make the decisions that are most in line with the path that I want to take and the stories that I want to tell. So in order to, you know, understand my own Cloud9 journey, it starts way, way back where uh, for a long time, I was the opposite of this person who I am now, deviating from the norm and taking an alternative path. Um, When I grew up, I was, I was very by the book on paper. It was like, you know, uh, a very normal traditional life. In middle school, high school, I was a good student and I was a good athlete, right? So I put those two things together and uh, the logical next step was go go to a good college, right? So I went up to Northwestern in Chicago. I, I was there and, and I didn't really know what I was supposed to be doing. I asked around, you know, my teammates, my fraternity brothers. Um, my brother went to Duke, so he was four years older than me and some of his buddies, you know, were going down this great route of stability and and money and things like that. So everybody told me, you know, study economics and get your finance and consulting internships and you'll live a a good life. So that's what I did. And I studied economics. and uh, There I was doing these internships. And I did a pretty good job of realizing that that wasn't going to be for me. But there I was in my senior year, not knowing what was next, because I really had never taken time to explore it uh, like for myself. Right. So I decided to do another year of school. I went to a master's in management studies because I, I thought I liked business and I thought mm-hmm. I liked you know, leadership and, and helping people and things like that. 
Um, and I took that year to really start to understand myself, right? So I'm, I'm doing all the self-help reading. I'm doing all the podcast listening. And uh, I, I kept hearing this word passion, 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 right? Follow your right. passion. We hear it so much these days. So for me, I, I thought my passion was going to be in the restaurant world. And I was so eager and excited to just take a path that was different than my peers, right? Even in my master's program, people were still going consulting, investment banking, marketing, all these things. I was like, okay, I'm going to be in the restaurant world. I'm going to dive right into it. I don't care what I do. Uh, so that's what I did, right? But in retrospect, I look at it and I think I took the position that I did, which was like this management and leadership program because of like the prestige that it sounded like it was. Um, I was 23. I was leading a team of people who were like three times my age at times. And, you know, I was living in New York City in an apartment that they put me in. And I just chose it for all the wrong reasons. Right. So I left pretty quickly within four months. And I wrote my first book called Getting Comfy, Your Morning Guide to Daily Happiness, which was uh, a way for me to share with people how my morning routine was focused on positivity and optimism and, uh, you know, waking up without stress and anxiety. And I wanted to share that with other people. So that was November 2017. I did that. And for the last, you know, year and a half, I've been figuring out what to do with it, right? And it's been all about, you know, going on podcasts just like this and doing talks and reaching out to people and building great connections and relationships and uh, just fully diving and immersing myself into this world of, of what do I do now that I wrote a book. And, um, you know, where we are now is, is the comfy stuff has kind of subsided a little bit. And I came up with this new concept of the journey to cloud nine. Um, and, you know, that, that story comes from this amazing chance encounter with an Uber driver. And uh, I came up with this concept of, of living life on cloud nine. So that's where we're at now. And, uh, you know, just having these kinds of podcast conversations, great talks with people my own age, older than me, younger than me, just figuring out, you know, what, what path I can take and then also sharing with others the paths that, that they can take too. That's awesome. I think yeah. initially what, when we first connected on LinkedIn, yeah. I, I was going through your profile, I'm like, you know, prestigious one for sure. But then I, I found, you know, I searched your name on YouTube, found the TEDx. And what yeah. really struck me right away is that yeah. you and I were almost the same person growing up. Cause you oh, put through like, yeah. you know, I was nerdy. I yeah. had braces. So I was called yeah. tin head, metal head, all nice. these names I was pushed yeah. around. Well, all these things I'm like, man, this is like me, you know, I found so much of myself in that. And yeah. it, it just really brought me to like, I need to talk to this guy because, yeah. you know, we follow that same path. But yet at the same time, we're following two totally different paths, you know. Yeah. But yeah. what what made you really decide that finance really wasn't for you? Yeah, that's a great question. I have a question for you after our response. Okay, yeah. Um, so what made me decide it was so simple. And I love to try to answer questions as different as possible. But mm-hmm. This, this one is just, it was like right in my face. Every day I woke up and went to work, I was loving my morning routine, but the second it was over, I took a cold shower and put my suit on to go to, to the finance job. It was straight misery. You know, I didn't want to be there. I didn't have any energy. I wasn't eager to, to do work or even interact with people, which is such a surprise because people are, are what I love to do. And, you know, that's how I, I live my life. Um, but it was just because of how dry the material was. There was no room for innovation. There was no creativity. There's no flair, right? So it was a total misalignment 
with uh, the person who I was supposed to be. Yeah. So my, my question for yeah, you is, <laughs> is, so you saw my, my TEDx talk. Thank, thank you for watching. Um, you saw in that how I, you know, I had all these seemingly detrimental qualities, right? Mm-hmm. I had the long hair, commonly mistaken for a girl. I was overweight, you know, picked on for that. Um, I was cross-eyed, so I had the glasses and I looked nerdy. And then my last name is Gross, so people already say, ew, and disgusting yeah. before they even know who I am. Um, but I, I chose to embrace those qualities and actually use them to my advantage, right? So how did you overcome that feeling of being different, being picked on, feeling awkward, right? When did when did this shift occur for you to realize like, okay, these qualities don't define me, right? I can be defined by so many other things. For me, it was when I was actually recording YouTube videos shortly after high school and in my college days. Like I always okay. kind of embrace similar to how you did like I became studious I became very into my athletics but I think for me it was a lot of like um I was soccer baseball track nice Nice. yeah so um for me it was just a lot of I can't change who I am what's happened to me in the past and how people can perceive me but what I can change is that third one how people can perceive me I can change how I accept myself so that when other people see, whether it's my content or me in person or what I'm wearing today, do I go glasses or contacts, you know, like how I'm choosing to accept myself resonates with how other people then will see me. So if I'm putting forth that confidence of like, yes, look at me, this is me. I'm aware of that. Yeah. Nothing that you can say or do will change that. So if I then, you know, when I first was streaming on Twitch, I had one guy come in once a week that would yeah. just come in and just call me ugly. And then okay. after he was done, he would go on my Instagram and comment on my Instagram photos that I was ugly. Okay. Like, I don't, that didn't bother me because then okay. if, if he's coming at me from that space, then my first thought is what's happened in your life that you have to direct that energy. So for me, it wasn't, I, I know I'm ugly. That isn't news to me. So for me, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, can I help you? what can I do for you? You know, Amazing. putting it back on him in not a, an aggressive way and in, in more of a compassionate and empathetic way. Yeah. Wow, man. That's, that's beautiful. And I, there's a lot of overlap between you and I, cause that's the uh, <laughs> same kind of thing. But so my, my, my up is how did you adopt that mindset? Right? What was it books? Was it people in your life? Was it listening to podcasts? How did you, how do you think like that? Right? Because you and I, we can think like that now, but obviously somebody or something had to teach us that way. You know, I, I don't know if it's innate within us to to want to immediately help other people if they're calling us names. You know, where did that come from? I think it came from like for me in high school, I was always everybody's friend, but I was nobody's first choice when it came to group projects. Got so it. I very quickly had to embrace the role of being versatile in many different ways and also not ever having being there for somebody else first but not ever having that in return yeah so actually for me i picked up the book attitude is everything by keith harrell okay and i read that book probably 13 times my junior year in high school because it just completely revolutionized my approach to those conversations to those situations and then it became less of a you know aggression and more of a we're human 
Like, let's just yeah. work together. Like, you can think those things, and I can think what I think. I'm not going right. to verbalize them, but we all right. have negative thoughts about other people. Like, it's human nature. But yeah. if I can change my attitude and my approach, then we can have a totally different dialogue, and we can really probably help each other out. Totally. Totally. So I'm big into into stories and moments, right? I try to uncover people's cloud nine moments in their lives. Do you think that there was a particular time in your high school career when you said, you know what, uh, I have to embrace this, this, you know, almost sidekick role, right? Rather than being the first choice. Do you remember any particular stories where you put that into action? The first day of lunch in every year of my high school. You know, mm-hmm. you, you're getting your lunch, you're looking around the tables, who's sitting where, what groups yeah. am I in, what groups am I not in, and then right. you see all of them, and you're like, okay, there's a couple of people that I know, but nobody that I really know, yeah. come over here that I know, but I don't really know, and then it's just like, mm-hmm. well, then there's just a table of the ones that don't have a place to go, and I right. always ended up at that table, so it's Got just it. like, how, you know, how do I one help these people because you know a lot of the times it was the ones that kept getting kicked out because of drug use the ones that you know were not necessarily the most studious or messed yeah. about in class and stuff so it's like well that doesn't have to one wear off on me and two i can wear off on them yeah so yeah yeah it's just kind of a virtue of chance i guess <laughs> yeah wow do you still think that do you still operate in this way a lot of me does like uh, within the company i izzy our, our other co-founder is, yeah. is being a baseball and he's yeah cl- claimed that i am the utility infielder of the team yeah. you know like yeah. uh-huh. i i some days i'm an audio engineer some days right. i'm cleaning the office some days i'm organizing the office you know like right we all wear different hats in the company but i find that more within myself and I think like embracing that in high school and stuff has helped me to embrace it here as well, you know? So it's like, yeah. I don't care if today I have to do this because I know this for the betterment of the company. Yeah. I didn't care back then if, if in high school I had to be in a group of people I didn't know because then it taught me social skills and helped me connect with new people, you know? Yeah. So it's like, you just find the golden, you know, the silver lining and everything. Yeah. You were really you the, do. Were you the same way in, in sports and athletics? Like, do you see this theme all the time? Like, were you a utility infielder? Were you a, a guy in soccer who could play defense and, and midfield and attack? And even if, you know, they need to throw you in the goal, they throw you in the goal. Was that so you too? Ab- absolutely, but at the same yeah. time, the exact opposite. I okay. was definitely that person, but I was also the leader on those teams. So it was interesting because, like, in soccer – yeah. I was very I was like one of the only people that really had a good left foot, but my right yeah. was terrible. Like I was okay. really not good with my right foot, but I was really good with my left foot, which yeah. was kind of rare in high school. Are you, you a know, lefty you in really... everything? Yeah. Oh yeah. Everything. Like yep. literally everything. Literally like, everything. Golf swing, hockey swing. Uh so golf I'm ambidextrous. Okay, okay. But only golf. I know there's that always is the only something. thing that I'm ambidextrous in. My room my roommate and best friend, he's a, he's a lefty in almost everything except his golf swing is righty. Yeah. So there's there's always something that's different. It's it's Cuz it's but, weird because yeah. you swing a baseball bat and you hold so I I love hockey, but I'm really only a hobbyist at it. So yeah. your dominant hand is kind of in two separate angles so like yeah. for me swinging a baseball bat and shooting a hockey puck because uh-huh. left-handed people typically shoot right-handed in hockey just because uh-huh. of where your dominant hand is yeah so for me 
when I swing golf, I'm like, okay, hockey stick, I'm used to my hands being separated, but baseball yeah. swing, I'm used to my hands being together, so I can uh-huh. do that, or I could probably yank it from the other direction in mini golf, yeah, yeah. flat putter. I'm like, well, I can really just Right, do right, it. right. It doesn't matter in <laughs> mini golf. That's right. Yeah. Okay, yeah, keep going. But Sorry. For, for sports, like soccer, I was the goalie that took the penalty kicks. I was the defender that snuck a goal from the other side of the field somehow. So, like, yeah. it was very much that, but then... I also very much took the lead. Like for baseball, I was the pitcher and center fielder because I was really, really, really fast and uh-huh. I could throw a mean curveball, but I couldn't hit. So yeah. I bunted doubles all the time. But at the same time, I then led the defensive side of it by pitching. So, yeah. you know, in, in soccer, I was the goalie, but I was screaming yeah. at the top of my lungs for this defenseman to get back. Right. So right, right, it was right. very much like I could play anywhere. Obviously, I like playing offense in soccer, but my coach never put me there. But right. then again, embracing where you are and what I just made like to view about it a little bit ago, but like what control do I have in this uncontrollable situation? Yeah. So you mentioned your coach, right? Do you think that there were people in your life, coaches, teachers, family members, friends, whoever it may be, who helped you adopt this own mentality? Or do you think you really did it all on your own? I think I did it all on my own. Um, my baseball coaches yeah. were very much, uh, I'm going to play the football players. So you had to earn your yeah, spot. Okay. And actually, yeah. unfortunately, there are three people I know that got booted from the varsity team just because they didn't play football. And they were mm-hmm. arguably the best three baseball players on the team. Right. And there was a lot of, you know, then it became the whole jock society. And those were all kids that went to a technical college to do mechanical engineering and stuff. You know, mm-hmm. so there was that definite like social divide. But I was getting recruited by colleges, so I somehow didn't get that cut. Yeah. Um, so it, it worked out, but yeah, it sucked. I hit yeah. every minute. And, and for soccer, I wasn't a part of that group either. But right. I played soccer since I was walking. So like I yeah. was innately good at soccer, but I wasn't a part of that social group. So I was kind of put yeah. on the back for a lot of things. Uh-huh. And then uh, I think it was my junior, one, one year in high school, I broke my ankle. Okay. And ever since that moment, I was just like completely ostracized it was like come spend all this time come to every practice go to every game and then when you're healthy again well guess what i'm just not gonna play you so it's just like well then i'm done yeah. <laughs> i'm just done <laughs> yeah i feel you so did you ever thinking about what you just told me now um did you ever or do you wish you could have or did speak up to the coaches and sort of highlight the injustices that you saw if you would go back to that time now do you think that you would say something or, or did you maybe say something i think is that your personality or very yeah. subtle hints toward what was going on and then uh-huh. tried my best to prove it on the field yeah so like when i was when i got healthy in soccer i just wasn't played at all so i just yeah. kind of cut that as a loss okay, but like yeah. track you know i was I went from a 56 second 400 meter time to a 48 yeah. second 400 meter time wow. in the matter of Damn. one year. So That's I great. went from my coach never trusting me to do a 400 to being on the team for state. So it was like this really funny thing. And I think 
I learned a lot of it through track because I took the first 200 meters really slow because I was a sprinter yeah. more so than a distance guy. So I knew that I could beat people in the last 200 meters. Sure. So I come around, my coach would always hang on the backside right after that first turn. And yeah. he would just be yelling at me to start hauling it. And I'm like, I see that guy up there and he's already gassed and I still have everything left. So I'm yeah. going to catch that guy. And yeah. nine times out of 10, you I know. would. Yeah. So I would always go right up to him after the race and be like, I know you're yelling, but I've shown you many times that right. I can do this. So like, right. just trust me on that. And yeah. like, you know, from his perspective, it's just like, right. But if I can get you going the full distance, then you win even more sort of thing, which I got. Right. Yeah. But so you let it was kind of that mutual respect. Yeah. yeah. You let your performance do the talking most of the time. Yeah. It's great, man. I love There's that. A, a, just another story I love telling in baseball. Yeah. My fall league, I played against my high school coach because in the fall leagues for recruitment, you couldn't play with your coaches. Yeah. So I played against my high school coach and his son. And uh, I bunted for a single, which he knew was going to happen. And he called yeah. his infielding because I couldn't hit. He knew I couldn't hit. Okay. So I'm like, I look at him. I said, I pointed at second base. I said, I'm going there. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, no, no. Like, don't don't mess with me like that. Right. So first pitch, gone. Move right. over to second. Steal uh-huh. second. And then I look at him. He kind of rolls his eyes. And I point at third. And I'm like. I'm going to third, and he gives yeah. us like, "Don't be stupid." And then right. next pitch took third, and I just looked yeah. over there and I just shrugged my shoulders, like right. I told you, like you could have totally tipped it off, like I yeah. told you that I was going, and right, I did. Right, so. right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, that's the. I mean, that's positive self-talk. You know, you you convinced yourself that you were going there, and you just did it. Yeah, that's yeah. that's that too. But uh, no, I love that. You have to stick it to him a little bit. Yeah. Do you think? All right. Th- I mean, your stories keep keep bringing things up for me. Do you think that? because you were a little bit ostracized or because you you never were really the the center of attention or the main focus do you think that give that gives you or or gave you a bit of a chip on your shoulder to like really you know do something to prove others wrong or do you not really adopt that mindset i try to stay as humble as i can i think it goes to like if nobody expects you to do something and you go way beyond it then you earn their respect and that to me is far better than the reverse of having that innate knowledge that people think you can do this and think that you're all this and then don't you know there's people i went and played baseball with whose parents would buy them new 400 dollars bats every year and said every practice oh we're gonna get them a full ride to arizona state university and yeah Ended up bagging groceries at the grocery store. Like, you know, there's this, if you if you get yeah. all of these things and you have all of these things that are just, like, pushing you that way, like, cool, if you want to do it, like, go make it happen. But if you don't have the, yeah. if you don't have the will to go make it happen, then I'll see you later. Like, I'm going to go do what I got to do. Yeah, I totally get you. You still play sports these days? I try to stay active. I mean, it's definitely not as much as I used to. Um, I'm trying to get into a hockey league now that I'm, Actually, cool. adult, I got braces as a kid, like I mentioned, so my parents really never let me play because they're like, we yeah. paid all this money on your teeth, we right. don't to do that again. So it was right. like, mom, I got a full cage, but that never really worked out. So now that yeah. I'm you know, kind of an adult now, I can find out you know, what leagues yeah. are around me and stuff. Very cool. Um, ice hockey? Roller hockey? Ice. ice hockey. I've been doing roller, like I just picked up a roller, pair of roller blades last month and actually are, am way less rusty than I anticipated, but... yeah. I I just I like ice better. Nice. So, does your interest in playing sports and, and this sort of can translate over to your work characteristics or or the path that you've taken? Uh, does your interest in playing sports 
lend itself to your interest in following professional sports. So like the overarching question is when you immerse yourself in something that you want to do, I guess, how much do you consume of it? How much research do you do about it so that you are, are like more aware and more into what it is that you're taking on? A lot. Yeah. I'm sure. So like yeah. when I was like six, I want to be a NASCAR driver. Yeah. I could tell you in, you know, 1999, every driver, their car number and what sponsor they have. That's awesome. Every That's single awesome. one. Yeah. I mean, literally every single one. Yeah. But I'm definitely not a race car driver. <laughs> right. So, you know, but I would say a lot, you know, and, yeah. and you learn that from a business side too. Like if I want to be in this business or if I want to be in this industry, like you're going to have to do the research beyond just yeah. if I'm going to be a, a you know, the video editor of the team, like I need to do research beyond just me editing this video as to how I can do it better, how I can do it faster, how I can improve, change, you know, improvise all these things. Like you have to learn those things beyond just what is in front of you to do. Right. Right. Awesome. I want to go into your coaching. Yeah. So tell me about how you got into that. Yeah. So again, it was from this whole trial and error, you know, figure out what I'm supposed to do after writing a book kind of mentality that I had. So I was doing a little bit of speaking. I was doing a little bit of writing. And both of those platforms gave me the the fortunate opportunity for people to reach out. Right. And at the time it was, you know, I was talking about morning routines. So people would give me a call, you know, my phone number was out there for people, or they'd give right. me a, an email, or they'd give me a LinkedIn message, uh, and they would say, like, hey, I, I want a morning routine just like that, right? So, you know, I didn't, I'm not monetarily driven, um, and that is both a good and bad thing at times, but, you know, in that moment, I wasn't thinking about making it a business model. I was just saying, yeah, I'll, I'll help you with your morning routine. So I would take everybody's calls, I would write these long-winded you know responses to people about what they should be doing in their mornings and uh you know that sort of turned into like okay i think where i truly light up inside is not so much when i am just writing and i get to see you know all the likes and the comments on something or when i get to put content out there like that what's what's most important to me is the one-on-one intimate conversations, the impact that I can actually see that I make on another person because of, you know, a chat just like this. Right. Right. Um, so that's how the coaching came to fruition. And then I, I got a little bit more strategic, um, in like September of 2018, pretty recent or almost a year ago at this point. Um, and I, I decided to incorporate some of my my past skills that I had learned and, and what I'm good at. I, I used a very asset-based approach. So I did this thing called uh, Marshall Goldsmith Stakeholder-Centered Coaching, which is a form of executive leadership coaching. And the reason I did that was because I was always the kid in, in high school where I would raise my hand if we did like a Myers-Briggs or a Strengths Finder or something like that. And I would say to the teacher, um, this, is, this is great, right? But what aren't I, what if I am, I'm here answering these questions because this is the person who I want to be rather than the person who I actually am. So isn't there sort of a disconnect between how I'm answering, right? So I said, I would always say like, what if my five best friends filled this out for me, right? Wouldn't that give more of an accurate representation of who I am? 
Um, so, you know, I got shot down in class a lot because of that, because I would just ruin the lesson for them. But uh, <laughs> we did the same thing in college. It was actually during my master's program. And there was a great, you know, the, the facilitator of that conversation was uh, he was the head of leadership at Kellogg. And he said to me, you know what, I, I like the way you think. And I'm actually a certified leadership coach in this Marshall Goldsmith, Marshall Goldsmith Stakeholder Centered Coaching, where what we do is we work with leaders of organizations. And it's not just us two working together, but rather we enroll stakeholders. And the stakeholders are colleagues, their direct reports, their mentors, right, to evaluate the leader's behavior and how they're acting, right? So it's not just a, a two-way street, but rather there are other people who are assessing whether or not this person is actually changing. Um, so I was like, wow, that's right up my alley. I've been thinking this way since I was in high school. So I got certified in that. And then I started working with different leaders, mid-level managers, startup founders, nonprofit founders, um, on those leadership skills using the people within their networks, right? So that, that was like the the origin of my coaching. But then when all the Cloud9 stuff came to be, I kind of switched up my coaching. And now I, I help people, not, e not even leaders, um, find their purpose and their meaning and their, their calling, so to speak. Uh, I try to create a framework for them in which I, I uncover their Cloud9 moment or this, you know, I kind of asked you about your what, what story it was that led you down a certain path. I try to uncover that one key story, like that light bulb or aha moment, and figure out how that plays a role into who they're supposed to actually be. Um, and with that now, I do use the Marshall Goldsmith methodology in which one of the components of the coaching is I have them talk to like five people within their life saying like, this was a story I remember you, you doing this, or these are your greatest strengths, or these are your greatest accomplishments, right? So now I use it more of a tool rather than the actual ultimate coaching in and of itself. Yeah. That's awesome. You're able to yeah. kind of recognize like, cause you're right. You know, even every time I take a strike finder, I'm like, okay, you know, even the second I hit submit, I'm yeah. like, okay, you know, there's this one where I could have been maybe a unlikely instead of a neutral or right. whatever, you know, like right. it's very situational based. So that's right. It's interesting that right away you learn or notice like, Hey, what about, you know, I know that I'm not necessarily the one that should be answering these questions. Yeah. And, and with two people, you know, you and I were, we're chatting now. I could, I could already tell with two people with very high emotional intelligence. And when you understand what those exams are trying to show you, it's sort of like you evaluate the questions. And if you take it more than once, you can give yourself whatever you want to be yeah. right so if you know the questions are talking about introvert versus extrovert you can answer so that you know you're going to get extrovert or introvert right so it's sort of like yeah that's where the bias comes in that's why i want other people to do it for me so i i can't put my own you know personal um touch on the exam but i'm curious what what are you have you ever done the, the myers-briggs I for, I haven't done Myers Briggs. I forget yeah. which one I did. Gallops. Uh -huh. I did the Gallops. You did the Gallops. Strength Finders. Strength Finders. And, uh -huh. and I remember taking it, and as I'm taking it, I'm like, I know I'm timed. I'm not seeing a timer, so that's kind of weird. But then I also was thinking, like, I just got done with like a month where I did a lot of networking events, or just was yeah. kind of out of the office a lot more with people. Right. And I noticed myself really clicking on those social light answers, where I knew. Like I probably haven't been to an American event in probably two and a half months now because yeah. I've just been working, you know, more so in and on the business. Right, so it's like, right, right. I know that if I took it now, it would be similar, but yeah. maybe what was 
you know, the third straight might be six, you know, it could be a little bit different, but you know, I got those results and I was like, yeah, you know, that, that was kind of response. Like, could be me. Yeah. Yeah, like that's that sounds like something I do. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I like I like that point. It it is very situational, right? Like they can ask you a question. I don't know. Like if you're at a, a party, are you are you on the side of the room or are you in the center, right. right? And then immediately you think if you're taking it on a Monday, you think like, okay, Saturday night I was at a party. Where was I, right? Yeah. And you could be, you know, you could be at different spots at different times of the night. So it it, it also is very situational. So that's why I really like. The fact that with what I did, I kind of said, okay, I'm going to take my, going to take myself out of the equation, right? I'm going to put it in the hands of other people. And I think um, it, something that we're told from when we're, when we're little kids, hopefully, is not to, don't care about what other people think of you. But uh, I think we do need to care about what other people think of mm-hmm. us, right? Especially as, as leaders, especially as people who are trying to influence others, right? That's, that's what it's all about. So uh, that's why I really love this this strategy in the coaching world that I do, where it is you you do get to sort of candidly get feedback about you from people who are important to you. Yeah. So as a coach and as a leader, yeah, how do you know when you're asking the right questions? It's a great question. I think that's one of the right questions, and I think it's those questions where you, you don't really necessarily know the answer, right? So for me. I think asking the right questions have to be, it has to be something where it's up for interpretation and it leaves things kind of open-ended to create your own spin on things, right? Mm-hmm. So here, like for, for me, I am in the, the self-help world, right? And I am sort of, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example here. My, the Journey to Cloud9 book that's that's coming out in, in December or January is, uh, I made it fiction. And the reason why is because I have consumed so much in this world and and dove so deep into it that I wanted to provide similar insights with my own unique spin, right? So that's why I decided to go fiction. And I think the questions that are the most correct are the ones that allow you to make yourself stand out, to make you be top of mind, right? So the, the questions that I was asking myself you know, if I put myself in both leader and coach's shoes of right. writing this book and what I'm going to come out with next is really just like, okay, what is everybody else doing? What can I do that's different? What are my strengths that I can focus on? Um, where can I add the most creative value? What do I want my audience to get out of this, right? So in thinking about all of those questions, it gives me the opportunity to do something that's different, to do something that's unique, right? So yeah, I think, you know, those that's that's a great way to think about question asking and and uh, you know from both leader and coachy side of things. I I think like when I was watching your TEDx, like I knew that yeah. that that I wanted to ask you that question because from yeah. a leadership standpoint, like I know from my end as a creative lead, like when you hold a camera, yeah, what you look through that viewfinder, it is a completely blank canvas. There is no correct answer. Yeah. So as a leader for a creative team or right. a leader for any team, really, it's there is no right answer. The right answer is what I can then influence you to make right. for what needs to be done. Yeah. And the right answer also is a mentality, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, I don't want to butcher the quote and I actually don't even remember who said it, but it's, it's just like, I would take, um, I would take 
a uh, like a so-so plan with the maximum amount of confidence over the perfect plan executed with timidity any day of the week, right? Because once you make the decision, no matter what it is, if you go at it with confidence, with energy, with drive, with a great team, right? That idea could be, you know, the dumbest, that, that idea could be flying a plane off the ground for the first time. But because you had the Wright brothers who they just, they let, they, that's what they loved to do. They wanted to solve this problem. They wanted to figure it out. It was a, it was a dumb idea that they had confidence in and they went and they did it. But, you know, there's a story where, uh, I think it's in Simon Sinek's talk, but, um, you had the Wright brothers who were working on the plane that way, but then you had these, you know, these government sponsored, heavy-duty guys who were trying to figure out the perfect plan and they kept waiting and waiting and waiting and the Wright brothers beat them to it because they didn't have the confidence to just go out and do it right so uh, I I think making the right decision is about the mindset and the confidence behind it um, as well and you look at I mean somebody invented the pool noodle at the end of the day somebody had to invent the pool noodle yeah (laughs) right Exactly. Look, yeah, you know what? It's 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 awesome to think about what we've done and and what we can still do. Um, one of my favorite quotes related to this is just, uh, uh, "If cauliflower can turn into pizza, then like I can do anything." You know, that is the that. absolute truth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What has been your favorite Cloud Nine moment response? My favorite Cloud Nine moment response has been, I'll, I'll give you this one. I, I love them all. I, I really mm-hmm. do. Um, it's just opportunities where not only do I listen to the stories, but I, I do them like this over Zoom or Skype. So I get to right. see people really gesticulate and, and be very you know, emotive with their, their facial expressions because they just light up when they tell these stories. But my favorite one incorporates three different concepts into one story. Um, so the story itself is pretty simple. This guy was at a grocery store and he saw this little kid trying to ride one of those pigs that you put like a nickel in or something and it goes back and forth, but the kid didn't have any money. So he's on top of the pig and it's not moving and he starts crying and he runs inside to what the guy thought was his mom to like go get a nickel or something. Uh, the guy goes over to the pig and he puts a nickel in and he makes some sort of some sort of noise outside so that the kid will run back out. So the kid comes back out and he starts riding on the pig and the guy sort of goes to the side and hides behind something so that he can just watch the kid enjoy this moment and not take any credit for it. Right. So the kid, he's having his cloud nine moment. The guy is having his cloud nine moment because he got to add to somebody else's life and Three things come up for me in that cloud nine moment, right? So the first one, first and foremost, is that in cloud nine moments that I've heard of in the past, playfulness, that childlike play that the kid was experiencing creates a cloud nine moment because it is this uninterrupted, inexplicable feeling of joy that we have that we need to continue to have in our lives, not just when we're kids, right? Um, So that's number one. The second Mm -hmm. thing is... Cloud nine moments come from acts of benevolence, 
where you are doing something that is so much greater than yourself, it impacts other people, and you're adding value to others without expecting anything in return. And that is exactly what this guy did. He put the he, he literally hid uh, from right. the kid so that he would just this kid would have this pure uninterrupted feeling of joy. So the guy had his own cloud nine moment. And then the overarching theme of this story is that when I was writing the book, it was weird because I never do this. I looked up the root of the word ecstasy. And okay. ecstasy comes from the Greek word ekstasis, E-K-S-T-A-S-I-S. And what that word literally means is to remove oneself or to step to the side of, right? Mm. So in this story, the guy literally lived according to ecstasis. He removed himself. He stepped to the side of the situation and he watched it from a third party perspective and was able to realize, wow, I'm having a cloud nine moment, right? So that, that story gets me every time because it's so simple. But the more you break it down, the more you realize all the different components that go into it that really allow us to have cloud nine moments and ultimately have cloud nine lives. Interesting. So cloud nine lives. Yeah. Can there be more cloud, more than one cloud nine moment to create a cloud nine life? Or is it more of a cloud nine life that has cloud nine moments? Yeah, definitely a chicken and the egg concept. But I, I've. I would definitely say that you, in living a cloud nine life, you try to have all the cloud nine moments you could possibly have. Um, the best way to explain it is just by you know sharing about the protagonist in the book, right? So like I mentioned, it's fiction. So what I do in the book is I show you this man's real life, which is characterized by societal expectations and what the people around him wanted him and expected him to do which ultimately in his later years led to sort of isolation and, and depression and loneliness. I juxtapose that life with his cloud nine life, right? Which is this visualized sort of magical experience where he literally travels through the clouds and each cloud is a different moment in his life that he gets to relive and see what could have happened had he chosen based on his own heart and his intuition rather than the societal expectation that he chose in okay. his real life, right? So that's what the cloud nine life is all about. And in the book, you can see that there were these, he literally travels from cloud one to cloud two, all the way to cloud nine. So you can see that there were these nine pivotal experience in his, experiences in his life where he could have had nine different cloud nine moments and, and ultimately led his cloud nine life. But he chose not to have any cloud nine moments. So he led that led him to, you know, the unfortunate path that he took. Going into kind of the dissociation that comes then the cloud nine moments, do you feel, and I'll follow this question up with a story of my own, do you feel that cloud yeah. nine moments can be like created? And the story that I have is I was in college and I was going to dinner with my girlfriend at the time. And I just yeah. remember being... I don't remember what triggered it, but I was just, I don't remember a time where I've ever been more grumpy or angry or sure. just like yeah, mad at the world. Yeah. But for some reason, there was an old man getting out of a car to go, or getting in a car rather, after he had just been at a church procession. And for some reason, I stopped and I helped that man get in the car. And I just, I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness, man. 
we're it's it's like you're in Wisconsin, I'm in New York, but we're living the same life. Right. Uh, because so real quick, I I just had something a couple of weeks ago where for the first time in like 15 years since I was like a stupid like 13 year old kid. I cursed out a cab driver in New York City, which is like a common thing for a New Yorker to do, but but not a common thing for me to do. I, I would never do that. Um, I you know I, I try to be as respectful as possible. But I was walking with a walk sign across the street, and this guy's just honking at me, honking at me. And I just stood there as he's trying to drive by, and I just like kind of flipped him off. And I thought right after that, like, why was I in such a bad mood? What was going on? <laughs> And I can't, just like you, maybe I, I can't really tell you what it was. I've tried to really dive deep into what it was. And that's, I, I think I know what it was, but that's not the purpose of this story. Um, the purpose is that immediately after that, as I'm thinking like, wow, Jay, why did you do that? I went to, you know, the grocery store near my house where I've got this buddy, Donald, who, you know, I, I try to chat with him every single day and, and he's just this amazing person. And uh, I went immediately there and we just kind of, I walked with him as he wheeled this cart up a hill, right? And I helped him a little bit, but not really. But it was just, you know, I just went to Donald and, and we just had a little chat. And I, I just felt so good afterward. And I realized, like, maybe I hadn't helped somebody in, in a long enough time for me to, you know, that's why I was in a bad mood. Or or maybe, I don't know what it was, but it, it's it's very similar in the way that you had your experience. It's just like maybe something within us says, if we're not feeling right, we need to go help somebody else think that that's like our personalities um to, to answer your question directly i think that if you are more aware and you're more cognizant of the cloud nine feeling and how you're living your cloud nine life then you can create and have your cloud nine moments sort of whenever you so choose because for example you know i interviewed a, a former football player who he's had cloud nine experiences where he's won yeah. big championships and won awards and things like that. Um, he's, you know, when he got, you know, into the NFL pra tryouts, practices, whatever. Uh, but he has cloud nine moments now because he's realized that in his life, what matters most to him is his family. So every single day he has a cloud nine moment in which he gathers around his dinner table and, you know, holds his family's hand, says grace and has a great meal with his wife and his kids. So he's at a point in his life where he can create his own cloud nine moments. With that being said, I think if you're listening out there and you are saying, I've never had a cloud nine moment, I don't know what this means. I don't think it can come from you actively trying to pursue it. Mm -hmm. I think it comes from a sense of awareness and it comes from allowing the cloud nine moment to come to you, right? So, you know, it's a little bit out there, but those are the, that's the distinction that I would make. Because um, you really never know that yeah. you're in a clouded moment. You only really realize True. it out. It's only in reflection. It's only in yeah. reflection. Um, unless, you know, you, you literally have this, like, rush of euphoria, this out-of-body mm -hmm. experience that I have heard from people, right? Because when I talk to mothers and their cloud nine moment is when they held their first baby in their arms, right? right. They, they know in that moment that something is special True. there. True, Um. So yeah, yeah, man. But I, I'm curious now for you. Uh, I think you may have seen this one coming, but what do you think that you've had a cloud nine moment? See, now I knew that you were going to ask, and I never really yeah. prepared for it. But yeah, um, I mean, it's kind of been just a collection of interweaving moments of my life. Like I feel like right. 
my cloud nine moments are moments that again for me i feel like it was a lot more of a dissociation than it was a realizing in the moment like for right. me it was picking my fiance up from the airport for the first time and now right. just last week picking her up for the right. last time from the airport you know like right. Right. i knew in the moment that it was a cloud nine moment but at the same time i 100 percent was dissociated from it because right. i wanted to i see it on tv all the time 90 day fiance so yeah. on and so forth and like I knew from what a camera sees what it looks like, but I didn't know what it felt like. Right. And like there was so much emotion going through that at the same time I felt no emotion. Right. So there's like this innate weird but cool yeah. balance because you're in that moment like I want to cry, I want to scream, yeah. I want to run around the whole airport, like I want to do yeah. all these things, but here I yeah. am just holding my flowers all tensed up, like right, 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 I right. know that her plane has landed and it is at the gate and any second she'll be walking down this hallway, yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. so it's like, yeah, but you know what, the cool thing is about what your your description is right now, it's that, think about what I told you with the, the definition of ecstasis, right, mm -hmm. you are literally it's like the, the book is, is you know, the journey through the clouds. So you're literally putting yourself in the clouds, right? And yeah. you're looking down, like, at your life, right? And you have the, the, the presence of mind and the appreciation for the moment and the reflective skills right now as, as you and I are talking to say, as I look at that, it is a cloud nine moment, right? So that's what I mean by it's really about the reflection and the awareness and, and all the self, you know, internal work that you do first before you can have your, your first cloud nine moment if you've never experienced one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I like there's a lot of little ones, I think. I don't know if I've had necessarily sure. a, a huge one. I mean, like there's a cloud nine moment of finishing my first Tough Mudder with my dad. There's moments of, you know, him being announced cancer free. Like there's all these like little cloud nine moments that, but yeah. again, they all add up to a cloud nine life. So exactly i guess it kind of does make sense in the end yeah, that's the goal and, and you want to you know you want to pick out the common themes in there that that ultimately allow you to have more of them right mm -hmm. so you know tough mutter I, I think accomplishment i think preparation I, I think training uh you know maybe like a little bit of an underdog story like oh it's this thing i, I don't know if i could do it and then you do it right i get those stories all the time um yeah it's just you know it's all it's all it's very fun to think about because everybody has different cloud nine moments, but there are definite underlying themes to them. Yeah. I'm sure I'll, I'll message you probably in about an hour. It's like, Oh dang, I remembered. <laughs> yeah. 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 I love that. I love that. I've got one last question. Then I'll open it up. If you want to ask more questions, you're more yeah. than welcome to, but what makes you strange on purpose? Yeah. Uh, I think it's been my, my whole story and uh, I'll go back to what, where we started the conversation with my, my TEDx talk and, and being different and, wanting to stand out um, and embracing your weirdness, right? I think that is the, the key component here. It's that, you know, I had the opportunity or I had the choice to say, I have glasses, I'm, I'm bigger than everyone else, I have a weird last name, and I have long hair. I had the opportunity to say, you know what, I'm going to be an outcast and I'm going to be an outsider and I'm not going to try to live my, my optimal life, right? But because I chose literally to be strange on purpose, to embrace those things, and little by little they did change, but at first, you know, I couldn't change them right away. Yeah. But in that moment, because I, I, I made the conscious decision to change those things, I think it, 
being strange on purpose is what ultimately allowed me to to be who I am now, right? Going down this path, it's sort of like, you know, at first it was with the physical characteristics, but now it's like, okay, I, I realize that I'm doing something different than everybody else. And people can can judge me and they can say whatever they want and, and you know, fully hyperanalyze my life. But because I, I am comfortable and confident with who I am, that's why I'm able to be strange on purpose. Yeah. And that's why I knew you'd be a good yeah. fix that like perfectly exemplifies yeah. both literally and metaphorically what it's about, you know, yeah. that's it, man. That's it. Um, this was great. My, 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 my last question for you is, do you think being strange on purpose? So you and I are, we're around the same age, right? Mm-hmm. We're yeah, I'm 25. So yeah, we're these young guys doing, doing amazing things in the world. Do you think the strange on purpose mind, this is a tough question because we're not older. Do you right. think the strange on purpose mindset shifts the more you experience some of maybe life's more tragic or crucial or, or just hard-hitting events? I think it helps you embrace it more. Okay. Truth be told because like when I found out my dad had cancer, it was okay. okay yeah. Yeah. There's a chance like we had a really positive outlook and obviously he's cancer free now, but we had a really positive value from the gecko. But like you hear that word and you're like, okay, there's a chance a year from now I right. won't have a father. Yeah. So you have to really then embrace you. Yeah. Because if you can't do that, then are you living that person's legacy on? Are you, yeah. you know, doing well in their shoes? Are you doing what you're really here to do? And yeah. I think that like it really helped me double down, if and if nothing else, on okay, who am I? Yeah. And just really showing that more with the world, like not holding back on anything. Like if, like I'm still, I would consider myself a very empathetic person, but at the same yeah. time, I feel like it's experiences like that have helped me become more stern. Right. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's, it's assertive, but more so just stern of like, okay, like if I need something done, like, right. yo, like work with me, let's get this done. But yeah. at the same time, I understand that people have helped me through those moments so I can help them through theirs. But yeah. if I'm not me, how can then I provide the best effort forward to them? Yeah, I love that answer. I love it. And uh, just just to give you some, some I guess, uh, validation about how great that answer is, yesterday I was talking to one of my mentors, Rich Keller. He's a great, okay. he's a 52-year-old guy, left the corporate world, done some amazing things in corporate, and now he's on his own mission to inspire people by giving them their one word and allowing them to score using their one word. Um, he was talking to me the other day about how his cloud nine moment, the moment that really defined his life and, and changed the direction of the way he was living was when his wife was diagnosed with cancer. He mm-hmm. says that he had to make changes to himself because of that, because if his wife was gone, he needed to really like the person who he was, right? right. So he's a 52-year-old guy who, who really has the same mindset as, as you, as me. So I, I think we're on to something here, man. Um, Sweet. Yeah, yeah. Where can people find you? Journeytocloud9.com. Um, all spelled out, journey, T-O, cloud, N-A-N-E.com. There's, uh, you know, coaching stuff on there. There's the interviews that I do with other people. There's a lot of Cloud9 stories. If you put your email in the 
in the top bar, it says not another newsletter. You put your email in there. Every Tuesday and Thursday, I send you a, a cloud nine moment of somebody's true moment of bliss. Yeah. Um, there will be in- info on the book that's coming out in a couple of months. And uh, that's where you can find me. But if you want to contact me, um, LinkedIn is is the best spot to go. I answer everything on there. Rock on. I appreciate your time, man. Thank you, man. This was great. Yeah, so Absolutely. so grateful for it.